Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. It is midday, which means it's time for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. We have two experts to answer all of those questions and we're going to do it all in one hour. It's Tuesday the 24th of November and I am Andrew Page. Well, today we've got two fantastic guests to answer all of your questions. Both, let it be said, former colleagues of mine. First, we've got Mark Morland from Team Invest. G'day, Mark. Good to see you, Andrew. It's been a while. It has been a while. And Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. G'day, Scott. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Always good to see your smiling face. You're very kind, sir. We are going to jump straight into it this hour because, as I say, we've got a bunch of stocks to get through. But we are <coughs> going to start with the stock of the day. And we thought we'd start with Technology One, a company that does enterprise software, one that has, let's be honest, it's knocked it out of the park for many, many years. They had some um, really great results out yet again this morning. Scott, I'm going to start with you. Have you had a chance to look at the results yet? One's one of those businesses that has just had a spectacular track record of continuing to deliver year on year on year. I actually went back and had a look at some of the historical financials. If you graph their earnings, you, I reckon you get pretty much level set concrete on, on the, you know, not that it's flat, but if you took the line across and said, right, that's about as straight a line as you get, just growth year after year after year after year. A really, really strong set of results. And again, this morning, profit up about 13%, continuing that ongoing trend. Yeah, just, just continue on with what Scott was saying about the uh, stability of earnings. It's actually 99.5% yeah. stable. Oh, is that so, all? And that's yeah. for 20 years. Ah, oh, that's disappointing. So, so now we, <laughs> when we started Team Invest about 11 years ago, yeah. TNE became one of our favorite uh, companies because we put a lot of weight on stability yep. and predictability. So yep. what I want to know if, when I make an investment is, what, what's my likely return going to be? And for a start, if I can, map, if I can map the earnings mm -hmm. and have a high degree of confidence in understanding uh, is that, is that a, can that continue and is it stable? Yep. I can then predict what my return is going to be at a given price right. rather than something that's all over the shop. Yep. Yep. So uh, T&E, uh, from a stability point of view, is right up there probably is the best company in the country. Yeah. Uh, it's also extremely low risk. Uh, it's been very, very well managed. Uh, the founder, founder, Adrian DeMarco, mm -hmm. is still the chairman. Uh, yep. Edward Fung's the CEO now. He's been with him for about 10 years yep. uh, prior. And uh, it's just a brilliantly managed business. No debt. Uh, they've got 125 mm. million cash on the balance sheet. So that's about 19 months of, uh, mm. of profit. So, mm. you know, it's a lazy balance sheet, mm. you know, if you like. But mm. also it means that from a risk point of view, uh, there's... Lazy uh, can you can't be go beautiful. Right. This, yeah. is, this is a business where I would say technology one is have to be one of the safest businesses in the country. Right. And, and I, can, okay, so um, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit yep. here. So, so I, it's hard to argue with, with the past results, but you know, trees don't grow to the sky. Yep. Um, you know, the Australian market where it mainly plays is, is, is limited in size. How long can it continue to do this double-digit growth, do you think? Uh, I, I don't think there's any problem at all. They've got, yep. uh, they've got a couple of key verticals. One's uh, councils, they've got over 300 councils. So they're dominant in that area and they're very yep. dominant in higher education and universities. So mm. they're, they're quite specific in how they've developed their 
their uh, applications, which they own. So yep. they own all their IP. They're actually spending a very, a very high uh, percentage of, um, uh, uh, on, of, of revenue on uh, R&D. It was 12% this year. Mm-hmm. They're going back to 8% next year. So that's a, you could argue, is a drag on earnings, but the company's always been very much at the front end of uh, development and making sure they stay relevant. But the big, the big yeah. news, I think, was that the, their UK operation is now break-even. Okay. And that's been about five or six years. So that's, that's where we can expect more growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, it's still, they've still got plenty of growth in Australia. They're going to, they're now, they didn't buy a business in the UK. Mm-hmm. They built it the hard way. Okay. Hang a shingle up, sent Aussies over there, yeah. banged on doors. You know, it's, it's a fantastic business. Fantastic. And okay. I think the, uh, Eddie, Edward Fong is going to push it a little bit harder than Adrian did. Yep. And he's saying uh, 15 to 20%, whereas they've always been 10 to 15% EPS growth. So I think over the next five years, I'm expecting the EPS growth to come up higher, particularly because of the UK income uh, coming on board. And then they've said that once they get that settled down, they'll start looking at other countries. So I'm going to say it's a buy from you. Uh, well, the only problem is it's in the uh, red from the uh, PE point of view. So it's currently on a it's currently on a PE of 48 uh, as of yesterday. Yep. Um, which is very high. Now what that means in returns, uh, it's showing about 9.9% return, which is you know not bad on our default settings. Right. Okay. On a margin of safety, it's about 2%. Okay. So for me, it's a bit expensive. Yep. Uh, I've been a holder of this for, you know, since we started Team Invest, yeah. and I've added whenever there's been good opportunities. And you do get opportunities. Yep. It, it was down at $4.20 a couple of years ago. But on the flip side, you're not going to sell out no, if no, it's no expensive. Way. No, no way. Okay. No okay. way. No. Okay. Why end a beautiful relationship? Yep. Scott, good to have you back, mate. Sorry we lost you there for just a tad. Um, I guess Mark made some good points there in terms of the, the quality of the business, some of its growth opportunities. Do you have some concerns likewise around the valuation? Yeah, Andrew, Mark made a good point. Um, I, I can't argue about the business. I, I do wonder to some degree, I'm almost tempted to wonder how much they are managing those earnings, not in an underhanded way, just it is so stable. Uh, you know, I, I do wonder how much is being thrown from, from year to year to make sure they can deliver steady returns. That being said, there are worse things in life, right, than steady, stable, reliable returns. I, I think valuation-wise though, yeah, look, I'm, I'm absolutely with Mark on that one. It, it, it's very hard to use history to justify today's price. Even with the stable ongoing growth, a business growing again 13% announced today, um, that doesn't justify a P of 42-ish, depending on what numbers you want to use as your base for that calculation. Um, you just can't get close enough to that number for mine. So I couldn't buy it. I wouldn't I wouldn't run it to sell it if I owned it, particularly because you've probably done really, really well for a long time. So the capital gains alone probably uh, probably preclude your selling unless you it's overweight in your portfolio. But I couldn't buy it today, unfortunately. Really nice Australian success story. One of the kind of unsung uh, and underappreciated software companies because they were kind of too old for the SaaS revolution, um, even though they continue to do incredibly well. Many people overlook it. That being said, a very, very loyal customer base and shareholder base. And those things both help the share price stay too high, unfortunately, for me to buy. Yeah, there's no better problem than a a tax problem, as they say, and so a lot of long-term shareholders in that camp. Remind me, um, was this not the subject of a short attack a few years ago? Is that correct? Is that, did that just not play out? Um, was no substance behind that? Or are there some of those sort of gremlins or concerns lingering around perhaps? Mark, I'll, I'll ask oh, you. Well, basically it was without base, without okay. basis. But what they did, it was with the accounting changes. They changed the, uh, how they, uh, they used to expense all their uh, R&D. Uh-huh. And they started capitalizing part of it, which I think they had to. Okay. And, and then they had to, it was the way revenue was brought uh, to account. So mm-hmm. the short argument was saying, oh, you know, they're, they're cooking the books. It was total garbage. It was just the changes in the accounting standards. Nothing changed from a cash flow point of view. Yeah. Uh, just by the way, when we talked about the uh, issue of uh, the um, stability of earnings, one of the reasons why it's so stable is that 
the majority of their earnings are annuity. Mm -hmm. So they have long-term contracts with their clients and they have a trapdoor mode, which you remember what a trapdoor mode is. sure do, I love them. <laughs> it means that once you're in, you can't get out. Yeah. And, the and they just put the price cost. up each year. Well, that's right. right. They, they can keep putting it up. And because they've now sh they're progressively shifting over to a full SaaS model, mm -hmm. so software as a service, uh, their clients are totally locked in. They have like, like a 98% retention rate. Okay. So that's how they're stable. And then they're stable because they don't do anything stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Like trying to buy companies or overreach. Okay. You know, they just run it really, really conservatively and just mint money. Scott, I know you're a huge fan of short sellers. Does that uh, short report bother you at all? <laughs> You're trying to get me in trouble, mate. Last time I mentioned that on Twitter, I had to duck for about three straight days based on the, the flame you got in return. Look, you know what's great about it? I think it's really important to mention this. Also, Seek, by the way, hitting an all-time high just recently after the, was a Blue Walker or whatever they were, Capital, uh, you know, the, their, their short report. It's worth remembering, of course, when the occasional short report comes out and is right, people rush to say, oh, those shorters, they're so smart, they know everything. I should sell every time there's a short report. If you'd sold Technology One and Seek, um, frankly, even Corporate Travel, which I own shares in, you know, there, there are great ways to lose money, but following blindly a short report just because you get freaked out is about the top end of the range of, you know, silly things to do. I know it feels scary. I know it's easy to sort of think, well, maybe where there's smoke, there's fire. And sometimes there is. But like everything in investing, taking a single example without working out whether it's the exception or the rule can be really, really expensive. Yeah, I know you've said it before, mate, too. Pessimism always sounds smarter than optimism, so there's probably something <laughs> to that as well. And, and, and from our point of view, we love short sellers. Opportunity. And, and it's opportunity. Right. So when a short selling report comes out on a company that we really know yeah. and trust the management, it's a buy. Yeah, yeah. Because typically, it does affect the Parker price. Sure. And T&E &E came down, yeah. and I didn't pick any up then, but it went down to $6 or something. Right. And it was a, then it was a buy. Yes. I yes. was too slow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's a no from both of the guys, only, well, predominantly on uh, valuation grounds. So let's get into the 10 stocks that you yourself have nominated as the viewer. And we're gonna start with another stock that's really had a, a rocky uh, history, at least in terms of its share price. Although let it be said that the business itself has just knocked it out of the park over a very long period of time. Um, Scott, I'm gonna start with you here again. Domino's uh, DMP is the code. I know things have, uh, growth has been a little bit flat in recent years, but longer term, it's quite a success story, yeah? It, it's been a remarkable success story, Andrew, for a very, very long time. You're kind enough not to mention that it's probably my biggest failing at the Motley Fool, the selling dominoes. When it went from six to about 13, I thought I was a genius. I now wasn't going to say anything. Like, you yeah, threw yourself yeah, under the bus right. there. <laughs> you, you knew I'd dob myself in, that's what I'm saying. Mate, um, look, yeah, Gromos has been a spectacular performer. And it really, look, you know, it, it's when you do a really simple thing really, really well, you get phenomenal results. The gains in market share, the gains in overall sales growth, the, the sheer dominance it has in Australia. It's pretty much seen Pizza Hut off entirely in Australia, which is a phenomenal yeah. return. Um, growing in Japan, growing in Europe, it's been a really, really strong performer. Now, it's also, you know, I mean, again, it's selling pizzas, right? And I thought, what is it, four or five years ago, maybe even longer now, when I when I recommended I remember sell that one. You know, how long, how much longer can pizza grow? It's pizza, how much can we eat? The answer is a hell of a lot more, as it turns out. Mm. Um, and again, both here and overseas, Domino's have done a fantastic job of keeping costs down, bringing prices down, improving ingredients, improving delivery times, using technology. Look, they, they got mocked, and probably rightly at one point, for claiming they were a technology company. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also reasonable, I think, in hindsight, to look at that and say, they actually have used technology remarkably well to increase scale returns and yeah. decrease costs in a way that just blew away their competitors. I mean, you know, Pizza Hut is, you know, we all went to Pizza Hut as kids. I don't know how many people order from Pizza Hut these days, but nowhere near as many as order from Domino's. It's the game's pretty much run and won from my perspective. Now, valuation-wise, 
It is, again, they've got a four in front of that valuation 41 times on my numbers. That's expensive. And frankly, the last couple of years have been a bit ordinary earnings wise. So you have to believe that the sales growth they continue to get can continue to be turned into profit growth to justify the current price. I think they can. Uh, but as always, there's always risk. So let's let's keep that in mind. It's a buy for me, Andrew. I think it's worth buying this business. I think there's a long, long way to go despite my earlier misgivings around how much growth is left both here and overseas. The number of stores, the number of franchises, they're now doing delivery in 20 minutes with kind of, you, know, you pay a premium to get that. They're really, really smart operators and they're making every post a winner. Despite the last couple of years of flat growth, I'd be backing them in to retain, sorry, return to growth and justify that PE. Yeah, I mean, Scott makes some good points there, Mark. It, it would be very hard, I think, even if we all had a billion dollars each and thought, let's go into the pizza market and try and try and disrupt these guys, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Just a bit. Yeah. So, uh, Well, we, we look at them as they are a technology company. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they, they wouldn't be where they were if it wasn't for the technologies they've developed on speed, particularly to do with speed of delivery and engaging engaging the buyers. So, you know, I read some research they did on the US and it was basically, they said the, the low point, the high point of your night is when you order the pizza, mm-hmm. you know, the consumer, yeah. and then the low point is the waiting for it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. they looked at it, it's like a half an hour later, where's my, where's my yeah. pizza? Yeah, so that's why they brought all the pizza tracking in. It's all about the experience. Yeah. And, they, and because they've compressed the times now, for me, I'm now trained. I think 20 minutes is the right time for food delivery. Right. So anything else you order and it takes an hour, it's like, what? Outrageous. It's outrageous. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. So, yeah. and I, I concur with everything Scott said. Mm-hmm. It has been a, uh, a very, very good wealth winner for Team Invest um, mm-hmm. members. Uh, my partner, Howard, still holds a uh, significant position. And yep. I sold out a couple of years ago only because their debt was getting higher and higher. Yep. It's now 360% debt to equity or something. Okay. So it's way over our, um, our limits. Yep. And you know, while CSL has high debt as well, I think the debt that Domino's has is a bit more risky if, mm-hmm. they, if they, anything happens to the business, like if you have a food poisoning scandal and you know, half of Europe gets shut down, yeah, there's stuff that can happen. Yep. So for me, uh, I think Don Mage is a brilliant founder CEO. Mm. Uh, we've never bought into the short seller arguments. Yep. Um, and a lot of team investment members still hold it. Okay. Um, but for you, it's not a buy? I wouldn't be a buy because of the debt issue. The debt. Also, it also okay. is uh, uh, too expensive at the moment. In fact, for us, we're saying we'd be 51.92, which is a long way away from 76. Well, then, there's something to be said for that, though, isn't it? We, if there's one thing we know with markets is that if you're patient, yeah. those opportunities come. The hard thing being is that when those opportunities come, it's because there's something that's scary out there. Now, whether there's any basis to that or yeah. not, how many people do we, do we all speak to? Is so how I would love to get X, Y, Z, if only it drops 20%. Well, the low $41.66 was the low this, in the last 12 months. I, yeah, not, not even in tw- that the last been 12 a, months. That would have been this in the trailing 12 months. Yeah, yeah. So that would have been probably April, I assume. But Fortune fortune favours the brave, yeah, I think. And that's, 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 that's where I think conviction is so important in investing, is, mm. is that we all say we're going to do something if and only if the price goes to X, and yet when it does, so few of us do. And it's so, the power of hindsight. It is, You look back now, you know the price now is $76 or something, you go, oh, yeah. I should have bought it at 44. Oh, yeah. duh. Well, I think there's also something to be said too, is this, this idea that to do well, you need to pick the bottom. Now, no, well, let's, no. 44, that would have been fantastic, but frankly, so would have been 50 yeah. or 55. You know, sure. you can still do incredibly well out of that. Let's continue to truck along the next stock. We're going to go from technology to pizza to shoes. And I'm going to start with you this time. Uh, first, Mark, if I can, Accent Group. The ASX code there is AX1. Mm-hmm. This is another company that uh, outside of that technology realm has had some real success. 
Uh, what do you guys think at Team Invest? Uh, yeah, it passes all of our um, filters and mm-hmm. quite widely held. Yep. By okay. Team Invest. I'm a shareholder. Yep. So, uh, and I added in April, which was good. Great. I should have bought more. That was my name. Yeah, hindsight again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Hindsight's great. Um, we're showing you returning about 18%. They just, they've came out, their recent report is excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's comments in the market saying that, uh, and this is shoes, so it's mm-hmm. uh, sports shoes mainly, but also they do a lot in sports uh, clothing, uh, women's, women's sports apparel, which mm-hmm. all that black stuff you see all the girls wearing, and uh, compression garments and things. Mm-hmm. Um, we think it's uh, very, very well managed. They've got a very, very good online uh, capability, which they've really capitalized on through coronavirus, a lot more than many others. They're opening 80 stores over the next 12 months, which is incredibly aggressive when you think where we are in coronavirus at the moment. Now, why are they doing that? Because they can get really good deals with landlords, they're they're cherry picking, and the business is going gangbusters. Mm. And the the thing that people don't recognize is that a lot of retailers have gone broke. Mm. So there's a hell of a lot of shoe shops that aren't going to be there anymore. And I don't know what the percentages are going to be, Mm. but the market is definitely, the competition is reduced. So as they come out of coronavirus, and we're heading back to normal, like Queensland's opened up. Uh, now, finally, uh, in Melbourne, um, I think their, their earnings growth rate will continue rather mm. than have a. I don't think that they bought orders forward. Your yep. sports shoes wear out pretty fast anyway. Yep. It's a fairly high, a fairly short life cycle on them. Yep. So I think I, uh, we're very bullish. Yeah. Um, so it's a buy for me. Yeah, Scott, it, it has done particularly well. And again, not, not a technology company, but Mark's right. They have made some big investments in that space. And it turns out that's positioned them very well for COVID. Um, what do you think? What's the outlook for Accent? Well, it's fascinating, Andrew. Just to add to some of Mark's points, what's been impressive with Accent is the rate of online growth and they've retained a reasonable growth in physical stores, at least outside Victoria, where, of course, retail was shut down for quite a while. So this business is, is really getting done. I've been a skeptic for a long time, I have to say, and it was largely because these guys are riding to a largest degree on the back of fashion slash fad. And knowing the difference between those can be the difference as an investor between success and failure. Now, I've missed the run up, so hand up for that one. Um, just on the back of not being convinced that maybe there is something sustainable about this business. I have to say that having had another look, I do think it's reasonable. It's not super cheap, uh, trading on about 18 odd times earnings with a you know 4.8% fully frank yield. That's not too bad for business, as Mark said, that has delivered good growth and is likely to keep delivering that decent growth. I do wonder a little bit about the number of stores they should be opening given COVID, not because I'm worried about COVID itself, but because how it, has, it may have changed our shopping behavior between then and now, you know, there's one thing to say 12 months ago, we think there's enough demand to open 80 more stores. There's another thing to say the, the success of the Nick Scarleys, the Templar Webster's, the Kogan's, and I own shares in Kogan. Um, and look at that and say, gee, you know, we really should open another 80 physical stores. Now, I'm, I'm not close enough to that business to tell them they're wrong. I am a little bit mindful that maybe that might be overreach, but maybe as Mark says, if you get a good enough deal, you're silly not to do it and not to at least put your shoes in front of people that might buy them. So hard to, hard to you know, mistrust management or to say they're doing the wrong thing. And certainly the results they've got so far are pretty good. So for me, at that price, I think it's a buy. All right. So we have, I believe it was a buy from you yes. too. That is being added to the call portfolio, which we will do a bit of a review on in a moment. In fact, let me correct myself. It is in the uh, core portfolio and it will remain in the core portfolio <laughs> after that. Jeez, we better get a kick along here because we've got a lot more stocks to get through. Um, we're hitting the best ones at the front. We, we have done some great companies so far. So we've, we've yeah. potentially front loaded things. Let's take a different tact altogether now and let's talk about ETFs. Now there's a million different ETFs that are out there. There's something that we all know has gained uh, in popularity uh, by orders of magnitude in recent years. 
Scott, I'm not sure if you're aware of this one. The uh, code is HACK, H-A-C-K, and as the name may uh, imply there, this is all about global cybersecurity. What do you reckon? It's an interesting one, Andrew. Look, I love broad-based, diversified, low-cost ETFs. Once upon a time, you could say I love ETFs and that was enough. But as you say, the explosion of them over the mm. last, what, 18, 24 months, or maybe even longer, there's apparently more ETFs now than individual stocks in the US, right. if you can believe that. Yes. So if you, yeah. if you work backwards from there and say, hang on, you know, this is... Yeah, they've taken the old index funders invented by Jack Bogle at Vanguard and, and kind of morphed it into a, a nice little fee gravy train for financial types. So, you know, I'm a little bit mindful of how we talk about ETFs these days, but I prefer low cost, super diversified, broad based index ETFs. This one doesn't fit that bill. And I think what investors need to be a little bit careful of is it's easy to kind of go from theme to ETF and not think in between. You know, mm. there is issues with there are issues with cybersecurity. There will be more. Therefore, I should buy a cybersecurity ETF. It's kind of a tempting shortcut, right? You know, step one, you know, cybersecurity, step four, profit, um, buy the mm. ETF somewhere in between. The mm. problem with this sort of stuff is there are active ETFs where someone is choosing the companies, weighting the companies, and then you're choosing to buy into that. Now, if you do that, you've got to really strongly understand the businesses that are in that ETF. It's one thing to say, well, I'm going to buy retail, or I'm going to buy tech, or I'm going to buy property. But to take a property ETF, if you don't know what's in it, you could be buying the best properties in the, in the country or the worst properties in the country. You could be buying at a you know sky high price or a dirt cheap price. Just saying, I like property, therefore I'm buying an ETF would be absolutely crazy. No one would do it. When it comes to cybersecurity or others, we're kind of inclined to say, well, it's cybersecurity, that's gonna be bigger. I guess I should buy the whole ETF. The problem is you need to have done the work to understand what's in there. How important is it? What does the future look like for those companies? How are those companies valued? And by the time you've done that, I reckon you're pretty close to saying, well, actually, I have a couple of favorites. I'll buy those companies instead. Buying the basket, unless, you're, unless you've literally looked at them all and said, I think the group is attractively priced and the group has a bright future, but I can't work out which one, then you might go the ETF. Mm. Outside that, I reckon you've done the research by the ETF. If you haven't done either of those things, you really have no business buying a, an ETF, an active ETF, just because there's a theme you might have heard of, you might think might have a bright future because it's possible, frankly, that cybersecurity goes on to be one of the biggest industries in the world. But will the companies in this ETF win in the right proportions at the right price? That's a very, very long jump from where we are now. So for me, I'm gonna give the hack ETF a miss. Uh, I said, love broad-based, low-cost index ETFs. This is not one of them. I'd rather go and pick the companies themselves. Yeah, Scott makes a good point, uh, doesn't he, Mark? I mean, mm. the, the well sort of hackneyed examples here, we could talk about at the turn of last century, how big, locomotives or you know airlines sure. are going to be and, and we know that even though generally as a broad theme it played out investors didn't do too well no. the chart there suggests otherwise at least so far that uh, investors in this etf have done well but is it is it something that you'd take a look at or you know well, we're, we're stock pickers yeah. i mean buffett buffett's always said that uh, the average investor should buy etfs yep. uh, and the reason is because if they know nothing and it goes back to exactly what scott's saying if you if you're you could say well I think cybersecurity is a prospective area and it's a growth area. Um, and if you actually look at the share prices of some of the companies that they've got in their portfolio, they've done, they've done quite well. They're actually nearly all US companies. You know, so you've got Cisco, Palo, Palo Alto, uh, Splunk and others. Mm. So it's got some, they've got some uh, good companies that I would like individually. You know, going, but then as Scott said, why would I buy an ETF? Because there's going to be other companies that I'm not going to like. But if you, don't, if you know nothing, and yeah. you think cybersecurity is going to be a, um, a big growth area, then it's a reasonable niche ETF. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but we have, we have zero interest in it. Okay. Uh, it's hard to buy. I mean, for most investors, if they're not buying direct shares in the US, you mm. don't have access to these companies. Right. You know, yeah. So the only way you can do it is through a fund or an ETF. You can buy Magellan 
global fund or something, but yeah. you know, the same thing. You yeah, know, you're, yeah. you're then betting on their ability to pick the right companies and Hamish Douglas has done well. Okay. Yep. That's all, <laughs> it's all about the manager you back, I suppose. And, and uh, yeah, it's something that's a consideration here. So look, it's a no, it's a no for both of these guys. Let's move straight on to healthier. Uh, the code there is HLA. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you this time. I believe these guys, physiotherapy clinics and podiatry clinics, um, yeah. only recently listed a couple of years ago. Um, have you had a chance to have a look at these ones? I've had a look at it only because we were talking about it. Right. So just this morning? <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of it before. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, as you said, it's only, it's only got two years history, mm -hmm. uh, which is not much. They seem to have quite a few brands, which infers their roll-up. You know, they've been buying... Uh, they've been buying private businesses, and that, mm -hmm. and that whole roll-up model, um, you know, we're fairly dubious about, mm. particularly in the healthcare type areas. Not a great track record. No, on average, they, they yeah. tend to go well for a while. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the theory is good because mm. what you do is you have a P, let's say you have a P of fifteen, and you buy the company at four yeah. or five, you get a three-time uplift in uh, accretion of yeah. value. So if you can keep doing that, the multiple you, arbitrage it's, is well, like, what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. the problem with it is you've got a real psychological problem and that these businesses are all run by owners mm. and then suddenly what you're saying to them is you sell it to us and you can stay on and work but mm. you effectively you're now an employee right and it just doesn't it doesn't people who've run their own businesses yeah uh, they're happy to take the money yes you know that's good that's yes. a happy day yes uh, but then straight away it's all yeah, six news. months later i'm an employee and i'm not happy and i don't like this mm -hmm. and i'm working too hard and i don't like the way it's being managed and mm -hmm. all that mm -hmm. so they tend to go pear-shaped after a while so yeah. i'm sort of bit off roll-ups generally yeah and particularly um, in healthcare and this has only got two years history so for me it's way too soon to know whether they're even doing a good job of it not enough water under the bridge no. mark, it's not making a profit either by the way okay, okay well it's also not helpful something else to worry about <laughs> mark makes some good points there uh scott and and there are the exceptions to the rule with the roll-up model when it does yeah. work it does work particularly well perhaps it is a minority of cases though but what's your view on hla and i think that's right like i'm not a big fan of healthier as a business because i think it's a bit too small and a bit unproven i think to mark's point about roll-ups it's interesting too I, look it's worth kind of pass that just a little bit further we do need to move on but just to pass it a little bit further to remember that sometimes it's the market that gets it wrong sometimes it's the business that gets it wrong and sometimes it's both and i think that's you know some value there you know to go to ga education right it was a recommendation of ours for a while made a little bit of money but but didn't tell anywhere near the top the the, the business actually was acquiring smart business at smart prices for a decent amount of time and had the market remained reasonably rational during that time the price would have been lower for longer and frankly that may still be here now as i mean still around but you know as, as a as a successful business that had grown slowly by you know buying businesses at three four five times earnings you can make a lot of money doing that as long as the businesses you're buying are sound under you know have sound underpinnings and as mark says the operator either hangs around or they're not as vital to the business as you might think so there's no there's no downside to doing that as long as you do it smartly and sensibly and as long as the market's expectations are reasonable. Where GA and others get caught up is saying, well, now we need to buy even more to try and keep that growth up. We've got to pay more to do it. And the market starts to get carried away and you know, price it even higher, more highly. It, it's almost this mutually assured destruction, right? Shareholders egg the company on, the company eggs shareholders on, and they both look at each other after the fact and say, what the hell happened there? I think broadly speaking, they can be okay. So I wouldn't rule it out on that basis, but as Mark says, well worth being cautious. This one though, just not good enough for me as yet reasonably niche reasonably small something may well come of it but as mark says i also prefer to get a bit more history a bit more detail on the business and frankly watch some of that strategy unfold before jumping in okay well let's move right on that's a no from both of the guys let's uh, go to uh, vicinity centers the asx code there being vcx uh scott staying with you these are shopping centers i believe 
They are, Andrew, and I'm going to make this one really, really quick. I, you, I wouldn't bite with your money, mate. I wouldn't bite with Mark's money either. <laughs> um, the, the vicinity, look, you know, it's tempting to look at those shopping centres and say, wow, they're big shopping centres, you know, and, and kind of start to draw some, some lines from that. Almost back to your airline story, though. You know, will people keep shopping? Yes. But frankly, I mean, look, the worst of COVID, I touch wood, is behind us. Um, people will start to go back to some sort of normalcy, but that normalcy will be different to what we're used to. Mm. We know, of course, as well, that retail tenants have pretty much taken the whip hand over landlords and said, look, we'll pay you something, but not, what, not what's in the contract. In other words, the contract's now also worth less. And if you think about the impact of the growth in online retail, who's it going to hit? Well, it's probably going to hit, it's probably not going to hit the neighborhood shopping centers for a while because you go to Woolies, you grab your coffee, you might window shop a, a dress or a suit or something. It's not going to be the big guys, the Westfield destination centers that people go to, to go to the movies, to catch up with friends, to go for a day out. It's those mid-tier shopping centers you don't really have to go to. And you've got to go, it's not super convenient. They're kind of, they're not, you know, they're not super local. They're not super great. They're stuck somewhere in between. And for me, that's just a, a recipe for disaster if and I think when the retail dollar continues to leak away from physical retail and towards online, these guys feel it first. And as we know, higher capital costs with a small increase in vacancy rates makes a, a business like this unprofitable super quickly. So it's much riskier than most people believe and most people mm. expect. I'd be staying well away. Mark's nodding here, Scott, so I'm going to assume it's a, it's a similar kind of view. Uh, so uh, absolutely. And, and the last report, they lost $100 million. Right. So, so they're negative 26% uh, growth rate at the moment. So right. they've got a very, very large headwind mm-hmm. is the best mm-hmm. way to describe it. Now, the share price is down about half of what it was at the high before. And the question would be, I don't do turnarounds, mm-hmm. yep. by the way. They rarely uh, turn, at some point it, in time, yeah. yeah, At some point in time, yeah, this may be a good buy, but we are so far away from seeing how this is going to play out. Yeah. You'd be very, very brave to put money into this at the moment. I wouldn't touch it. Okay. Do you think there's, I know it's outside of both of the style of you guys, but is, is there a point where it's almost like a net net play where it's just sort of like, it's just the share price undervalues these assets unattractive as they may be, if you can buy a dollar dollar coin for 50 cents, is there an argument for that? Uh, well, there is, uh, potentially. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, it depends on what your your investment style is, mm. and that is a way to go. I mean, there are, I mean, if you look at the old traditional deep value investing was try and buy things at less than uh, tangible asset value. Well, that's a bit right. hard these days with the way the internet works and information, mm. but um, it is a way to go, very difficult. We're much more interested in businesses where we can predict earnings and predict our returns rather than assume that something's going to change, therefore I'll make money. I'd rather back the horses that are running really well rather than the donkeys running around in circles because they're confused at the back, which yep. is one of these. Yeah, I'm fond of saying it's a, you know, you're looking for the one foot bar to step over, not the six yeah. foot one to hurdle right. over. Okay, we are halfway through the show here. So let's do a very quick roundup of the stocks that we have been talking about. We started the day with Technology One as the stock of the day. That was a double tick from, uh, uh, sorry, that was a double cross from both guys, but only in terms of valuation. Domino's, it was a yes from Scott, a no from Mark. Mark having a bit of concern there about some of the debt levels. Accent Group was in the core portfolio and it remains in the core portfolio after uh, a double tick from both Mark and Scott, both liking the the way that the business has been run and uh, its potential over the next few years. Uh, The BetaShares Global Security ETF, which is focusing on uh, cybersecurity, 
Look, these guys are both uh, self-avowed stock pickers. And uh, as Scott said, if you are going to go the ETF route, and there's nothing wrong with that, if you want a passive approach, he's far more inclined to go for the broad-based, low-cost ETF. And so that was uh, that was a double cross there as well. Healthier, uh, also not getting any love. This is a looks to be a roll-up play with uh, physiotherapists, podiatry uh, companies, only a couple of uh, years worth of financials uh, there for investors to look at. And it tends to be a difficult model uh, longer term, at least anyway. And so uh, for, for both the gents, that was a no. And then continuing that theme, Vicinity, uh, which operates a range of different shopping centers, quite a few in fact, it's got some serious headwinds in terms of various structural factors, uh, not least of which perhaps COVID has accelerated. So as I mentioned, there is a portfolio that we manage here at Ausbiz, and uh, we've got uh, a really great track record so far. Just to remind you exactly how it works, when both of our guests give it a thumbs up, it gets added into the portfolio. If either one of our guests gives a stock that is already in the portfolio uh, a thumbs down, it only takes one of them to do it, it gets booted out of the portfolio. So. How have we been performing? Well, as you can see on your screens right now, it's done particularly well. Probably fair to say there's a lot of noise around uh, the one week return. One month, it becomes a bit more valid, but financial year to date is where the best returns are. And I would argue the most validity is a 22% return. So it must be all these really, really smart guests that we have on the Ausbiz program. Uh, recently, we have added Ampol, South32, Redbubble, Elmo Software, Credit Clear, uh, and the stocks that have taken out, a real mixed bag of stocks there, it should be said. Um, and stocks that we have, that have left the portfolio uh, include LaVisa and Coles. So you can check out all the stocks and the ETFs we have in the portfolio just by heading to our webs website, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Right, let's head into the second hour. And uh, if we juggle things right, we might just end on time, Mark. Um, although I wouldn't bet on it. We're gonna go back to technology here. And uh, the company that we're gonna talk about is Appen. Uh, one of the wax socks, super sexy, uh, all about AI training data sets, a company that has a pretty good history to date. The ASX code is APX. Shabir is written in asking about this company. What should they do, Mark? Uh, well, Appen's a, a business that uh, we like at, at Team Invest. Yep. Um, it's had a very good, a very good um, history as far as growing. There's the, it's on 124 PE. How's oh, that all? Yeah. And the, the problem is, now the, the, if you look at their EPS growth, the, uh, we're showing it, they've grown about 48% over six years. But mm. the last two or three years, the last two years, it's actually gone down a bit. Mm. So they've slowed up. Now, little, there's a little bit of a corona effect there, I think, to do with uh, you know, getting new contracts signed. Yeah, there's, it has been a, 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 a drag on the business lately, yep. uh, but it hasn't been reflected in the price. Okay, <laughs> so, right. So it has, that hasn't turned it into a buying opportunity. I don't actually have any shares in Appen. Uh, a number of our, uh, our members do, so we, we do, we do uh, like the business, just, just super expensive. Interestingly, if you look at uh, US uh, tech stocks, mm -hmm. generally, they're, they're about half the price of ours, yeah. most of them, you know, on PE ratios. Because I think we've only got a few, okay, and uh, and we've only got our market's quite. You know, we've got a lot of people who think, a lot oh, of money we chasing buy, a smaller. We want to buy a tech stocks. What have we got a choice of? There's not right. a lot. Okay, it's PME, Appen, Altium, yep. Tierney. That's it. There's not yep. many. There's not a lot. No. What do you reckon, Scott? I mean, Mark makes a valid point here. I mean, there is there's something to be said for quality. Um, there's also something to be said for value. A very high valuation, although 
devil's advocate, I'm going to put it out there. When you've got a company whose earnings have, on a per share basis, have tripled over the last three years, that's something that can bring those multiples down very quickly. And I guess we're also in a really weird environment right now where interest rates are, are virtually nothing as well, which is going to make a lot of analysts, um, you know, <laughs> do a lot of mental gymnastics with their spreadsheets and whatnot. What, what do you think of Appen? Is it worth buying at any price or is it, is it perhaps a bit too stretched at this point? Look, Andrew, I think there's, I mean, there's a price for everything. We, we all kind of, I think, agree on that. The question is what price is the right price? And that's mm -hmm. what we're here to try and work out. The, the business is doing incredibly well. I think, look, I, I'll mention Kogan again. And again, I do own shares. I'm not trying to pump my own tires up here. But when you think about Kogan, it went from loss to profit really quickly. And the profit margin grew meaningfully, such that, as you say, the PE comes down pretty quick. Or in this case, it's kind of stayed high, but the share price has shot up, which is the other thing that obviously can happen. Because it it's not, doesn't take much for you go for a loss of a million dollars to the gate of one. And then you do two million dollars, and you have three million dollars. We've triple profit in two years, right. uh, and so PE is coming down really fast when that happens, as mm. you rightly point out. So it doesn't take much. I also like Appen as a business. I like Mark Brayan, the CEO. We've known him since his integrated research days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, a, a good guy running a good business, and I, I, we like that a lot. I've got two issues with Appen. The first is it does voice, uh, it kind of assists in voice recognition technology software, broadly speaking. I won't go into full detail, but effectively that, um, and. At some point, I fully expect AI does the job that Appen does. I, I really do think this business, unless it reinvents itself at some point, has a sunset. Now, where that sunset is, how far away it is, and what the price is between then and now, that's the open question. But if you think about a business that is training computers to do this sort of stuff, computers have learned to recognize text, right? Now, voice is different, so I, I understand that, but computers have, have learned to recognize text by context. I mean, it's how the whole you know Rosetta Stone worked in the first instance was mm. just simply comparing stuff. We have a long history of that. To believe this is going to be a human, you know, imp input process for a long time, I think takes a pretty big leap of faith. So I think there's a point you want to be careful you don't own the stock, and that makes the whole thing risky. On top of that, as Mark's already said, 120 odd times earnings is a remarkably high price to pay for any business, let alone a business that I think has really meaningful existential threat at some future point, unless, as I said, it reinvents itself. So too rich for my blood, cheering on from the sidelines. Great to see an Australian company really providing services for the likes of Google and Microsoft and others. Um, you know, a, a really strong success story, really well run. Can't complain about the business's current operations, but the price and that really long-term potential risk of maybe it's not around, that's enough for me to stay on the sidelines. I hear what you're saying there. It's one of those risks that you could argue is how likely it is, but if it was to come mm. to, to light, mm. it, it is, as you say, existential. You've reminded me, in fact, about uh, AlphaGo, which is the uh, AI that uh, uh, beat uh, the world Go player. Mm -hmm. It was uh, doing um, chess prior to that. And the, the machine that it went up to compete again had been trained with all the greatest moves in, in history from all the great uh, chess grandmasters. AlphaGo went from not knowing how chess worked to, being a, to beating that machine in four hours and it didn't get any input from any human as well. So it's, it's probably an analogy there, uh, Scott, with what you're talking about with Appen. So something to watch. Mm. Never would have thought we would have gotten to AlphaGo uh, there, but you know, any, any segue <laughs> is, is possible. Let's, uh, let's get away from uh, tech for a little bit and talk a bit about Vita Group. Mark, I'm going to start with you. This is a company that's done a lot of things over the years. It can't, it's got to be said, it really hasn't shot the lights out. Uh, VTG is the code. Joe is the, uh, the viewer who's asked about it. What should Joe do with Vita Group? Uh, well, I like Vita, Vita Group. I, we call it Vita is it Vita, Vita, Vita Group? Vita, I'm not I, sure. I, I call it Vita Group. I don't know what's Potato, great. potato. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, a very interesting company. I've been a shareholder for a while, a fair while actually, and I bought some more shares okay. uh, in April when they, when they really tanked. Yep. Um, Maxine Horn's the uh, founder CEO. 
Um, and basically, what the, the traditional business was Telstra shops. Yep. So they had a bit over 100 uh, Telstra shops. So the resellers for Telstra. Yep, yeah, but they're yep. basically like a franchise. Okay. So they're running them. So Telstra went from having all these individual franchisees, which were a pain in the ass, yep. to trying to have two or three groups that ran, yeah, which is sensible. Anyway, Vitagroup, uh, their earnings were growing like a rocket. So really, really good. That's what yeah. got our attention. Yeah. And then Telstra came in and renegotiated their contracts and screwed them okay. over. And then their earnings dropped by half. Oh, we can see it there. You see it there? Yeah. That's, yep. I know it's price, but the earnings chart, oh, sorry, right, they'd be yes. similar. Yep. But, and Probably around that yeah, time. Yeah. Though, so yeah. what happened, of course, the market went, what? You know, so the share price then tanked. Gotcha. Um, they've now got a much more stable relationship with Telstra. There's, there is a point where uh, Telstra can't. It's an important distribution channel for them. So there's a limit to how much they can screw them, otherwise they'll go elsewhere. Yep. Now what the, she's done in that process is diversified the business. So they have a thing called Sprout, Sprout, Sprout which yeah. is uh, phone accessories, which they wholesale. That's very profitable, okay. that's a good business. Yep. And then they've gone into- Is that beauty or something? Is uh, they've gone into non-invasive therapeutics. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, laser, yeah. and uh, Botox gotcha. and so on. Gotcha. So they bought a business that was a successful business that had eight large clinics yep. uh, that had a really good product, but wasn't making a lot of money because the management were focused on doing good service rather than making money. Okay. So they bought that and they've now added quite a few. So she's building up uh, a large business in that area. It's actually a very, very prospective area. And they, they see their competitive advantages, sales, customer service and management, right. and so on, and they've got capital. So she wants to build that up and obviously over time, reduce the impact or the risk of Telstra and yep. move into that area. Yep. Coronavirus, they were going really well, then coronavirus uh, smashed that because uh, that all got shut completely. Yes, of course. And now it's opening up. So I think it's a buy because uh, even though recently the, the, they've been uh, struggling on earnings, I expect them to jump back quite strongly now. And it's, it's actually on a P of 7.5. I had a look at that, 7. Yeah. It's really cheap. Scott, is it cheap enough for you? You know what? I think it probably is. I'll, I'll, I'll give the lead away. This is a business that I, I, don't, I don't necessarily rate it as highly as Mark May from the sound of it. Um, because it's one of those businesses that is, particularly the Telstra relationship, still remains a really fundamental part of its business. And if you pull the rug out from that, and I think it is possible, maybe I think of my view, it's more likely than Mark does. Not that I'm saying it's likely, just that at some point, you know, when you're the limited partner and you've got a general partner who's saying, well, you rely, you, you rely on me more than I rely on you. You know, Telstra doesn't go away if, if, if Vida or Vita Group, I'll, I won't uh, I won't make a call on that one, uh, <laughs> decides to, decides to you know, if it, if it itself walked away, it said Telstra, well, you get you get stuff then. Telstra's going to go, cool, no worries. We've got, we got many other distribution channels. We've got our own run shops. We've got other people running our shops. I mean, it's just not... I think it's possible, right? So again, I'm not saying it's likely and I'm not saying you should pay nothing for it. Um, as I said, I'm coming down on a buy, so I'll get there in a second. <laughs> but I think that's a meaningful risk. I also think the risk with the new businesses, as Mark says, are promising but not yet delivering. True. So there's that. I really also like Maxine Horn. I think she's a really good CEO running a great company. Mm. Now, it was a you know, lower quality company because it entirely existed at the, at the you know, out of the generosity of Telstra. You know, the second Telstra turns the tap off, the business would have gone away. And now to some degree, largely would still go away. But as Mark says, it's less risky now. And hopefully the deal is a longer term deal with Telstra. So while ever it was at the mercy of Telstra, it was at the mercy of Telstra. Diversifying is better. I haven't yet seen enough really strong success from those new brands to believe they are the preeminent, you know, retail juggernaut, right? It was, is there Telstra success because they're Telstra? Because they're great retailers or somewhere in between? Probably the latter. Um, but you know, remains to be seen. I, I don't discount Mark's optimism and, and confidence, uh, but I do think there's some way to go before we become super confident that we know for sure. All of that said, the Maxine Horn factor and a P of seven, yeah. 
I mean, this is one where you're going to go, you know what, maybe this goes badly, but if I bought a, if I bought half a dozen of these with these similar characteristics at a PE of seven, I'm very confident I'd make some money. So whether whether Vita or Vita goes particularly well from here or not, I don't know. What I do know is if you were to buy these similar types of business and similar types of prices, I'm very sure you'll do very well. So it's a buy for me. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Certainly a big fat margin of safety when you're only paying seven times yeah. earnings and you've got uh, credible management there in at the helm. So that is going to be added to the call portfolio as of today. Yeah, Curtis, I, I, I want to add two things. To oh, yes, please do. <laughs> Uh, totally agree with what Scott said. Yep. I'm not saying that the Telstra thing is not a risk. It is. In fact, sure. I got caught on that because in 2015, we ran a risk panel on Vita Group and I argued that Telstra wouldn't screw them because they were too fundamental to the business. And was I right or wrong? Right. Okay. You know, well, and I, 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 I is, thought Telstra yeah. couldn't be that stupid and it was really dumb. Yeah. So, you know, and Telstra's like, a, it runs in um, silos. Yeah. So one part doesn't know what the other part's doing. So anyway, so the... the yeah. uh, Yes, that could happen. Yes. Uh, the one thing I will add, though, is um, we've got a member who had a couple of Telstra shops. Oh, yeah. And he said that they'll, they'll get a significant uplift now with the new uh, Apple phones. So when a new phone comes out, ah. the new 5G phones are coming yes, out, yep. that will give the stores a big lift. So the Telstra business should do very well over the Christmas period in the next six months. Gotcha. So I'll just throw that in. Yes. Because that's going to help underpin their uh, earnings. A nice near-term yeah. tailwind. Joe, there you go. Uh, answered very thoroughly there from both Mark and Scott. Um, Scott, I'm going to come back to you for this one here. Uh, Australian United Investment. This has been asked by Adam. The ASX ticker code there is AUI. This is an investment company. Maybe start, if you can, just with, with uh, investment companies, listed investment companies as a theme, and then we can get specifically into uh, Australian United. Yeah, nice, Andrew. Thank you. Look, listed investment companies were ETFs before ETFs existed. It was a pre effectively the only way to get a, a, I was gonna say one click, it wasn't a click back then, it was a, a one trade uh, exposure to a really large swathe of the market with a single entity and some other stuff necessarily on top, active management usually, of course, in almost all of these cases. But think about the Argos or the others, um, you know, this, this is very much the way you know, broad index exposure was gained back in the day. And so there's plenty of businesses doing that kind of thing. They're considered closed end funds, they're permanent capital. Uh, which is great for the managers because the your investors can't leave. They can sell their shares, but the shares keep existing. Mm. If you're a traditional fund manager and your investors walk away, you've got to work out what to do with, with reduced capital. So that's good. You don't necessarily also otherwise get the upside either though because you can't have growing farm either unless you go and raise more capital over time. So right. it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but the permanent capital is useful. I I generally don't love listing investment companies. Andrew. There's one meaningful exception I'll talk about in a second, but I, I, we've already talked about low-cost, diversified, broad-based index funds. That's exactly what I do, given the choice. If I didn't want to pick stocks, to, to Mark's earlier point, I'd go and buy an ETF. I think investment companies had a great role to play in the past, in the sense that they gave people access that didn't exist. But like most things, technology continues to, to roll along and, and Vanguard and others were able to create index trackers at a really low cost that pretty much put investment companies in the shade. So I'm not a big fan of them. I have to say I wouldn't mm -hmm. invest in them, generally speaking. There is a single exception, which is Sol Pats, which is considered yeah. a listed investment company, but for all intents and purposes, is more like a you know an, an operating business uh, that happens The mini Berkshire well. of Australia, is, as I think yeah, you once said. Yeah, to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a bit overdone as a description, but it's the closest we have, I think, and I think it's fair to say. So I'll put that aside. Um, in this particular case, look, you look at the straight numbers. If, if you do believe, as I do, listing investment companies have a limited use, and yet you've got a, one that's on a PE of 27 and trading at 1.2 times book value, you've got to be imputing a lot of value to the management. You've got to believe management can deliver long-term mm. outperformance because from that book value, 
you're paying a fee, a, a charge, not sorry, a, a management fee per se, but you're paying the costs of that company to be run. Yep. And so you should be paying less than book value, all things being equal, to get access to the assets they've got. So you I have take- to believe management can do really, really well with those assets, or that somehow the growth of those assets themselves will well and truly justify the price. I don't have enough confidence in either of those things, so I'd leave it alone. Okay, mate, and I'll, I'll put that as a cross next to your name. Mark, I'm gonna limit you if I'm a bit unfairly here, but I'm gonna limit you to a one word answer yeah. of this. Uh, no, not interested. Okay. And it's got lots of banks. I don't even like the companies they have in their portfolio. More than one word, but uh, very, very <laughs> concise. <laughs> uh, we've got two more stocks to get through and we're really fast running out of time. Uh, Mark, the last one, or second last one here is Phineos. Peter's written in and asked about this. The ASX code is FCL. This is a software company and this is a software company that I believe operates in the insurance space. Again, just mindful of time. So a short answer if you can, Mark, but what do you think? Um, yes, it operates in the, in the uh, uh, insurance Area and one one word answer. It's only got one year history, mm-hmm. and it made a loss for the first year. Which that's not a good look because when you list, you know, you're already a private company at the beginning. Yeah. So you should actually be making a bit of money. Uh, I, I don't think that's a good look. Okay. Yeah. So maybe some exciting slides in there, but just not enough water under the bridge. Well, no water under the bridge. Well, or no water under the bridge. And it's got a bridge. market cap of a billion dollars. Okay. Well, so it obviously has some fun, uh, people who like it. Okay. That's interesting. I'm sure there's more detail to get in there, but that's that. those those major figures aren't going to give us a lot to work with. Uh, Scott, what do you think? I'll, I'll take Mark's lead. It's a similar view for me. A billion dollar company not making any money. Now it's in insurance administration. Mm. This thing should scale really, really well if it can get growth. And so if you're of a mind, you might look at it. I looked at the last 4C, the last quarterly cash flow. It's still burning cash as well. Not a lot of it, to be fair. Um, I think four or five million dollars was the was the cash outflow, net cash outflow, and for different reasons. So again, these numbers, as you rightly point out, are, are largely a little bit unfair because we're kind of uh, just just scratching the surface. But man, a billion dollars for this without a real path to ongoing profitability, I'd be giving it more time. Okay, lucky last stock in the closing minutes of the show is uh, sent in by Oscar Enero Group. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The code there is EGG. E-G-G. Scott, staying with you for the moment, is this one that tickles your fancy? It's not, Andrew. It's a, it's a, look, it's one of those ones where you'd almost grab something like this as a, as a turnaround if you were of a mind. And maybe during March, April, May, it was a great time to do so. It's 13 times earnings, which is not stupid expensive. It's, I mean, it's not expensive at all. It's you know, reasonably fair, generally speaking. This is a marketing services company. We've all seen, I think, plenty of these go past. Maybe this is the one that, that does well where others haven't gone so well. But man, I mean, you know, back to the Salmat days and then others in between and you know, before and after that, marketing services businesses tend to be really ordinary investments. And yes, I'm using a heuristic here. Maybe this is the exception to the rule. But I'm not prepared to put my money or my members' money on the line for this one. Um, again, maybe it's, you know, it, it, when the market freaked out in March, April, it was a great time to buy it. If you believe the economy was going to recover, the recovery of the share price since then have put paid to most of that upside, I think. Who knows where it goes next, but not enough. If you take the fundamentals, say, why would I want to buy this? Why do I think this business keeps doing well? Why will it keep beating its competitors? Why won't it have its lunch eaten? I can't answer any of those questions with any confidence, so it's a no from me. Okay, geez, I'm glad that was the short answer, Scott. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go down to Mark and and uh, ask your quick quick opinion on egg, EGG. Uh, um, uh, yeah, it's a no from me as well. Okay. So you know what? You guys have been in furious agreement the whole show. The only time that we differed was with Domino's, with Scott saying yes and Mark saying no. In this second half of the show, it was a whole lot of crosses, lots and lots of thumbs down. The one exception being Vita slash Vita Group, uh, however you want to uh, pronounce that. But this is a stock that is trading trading at a PE of seven uh, and has some quality management at the helm and maybe, maybe just some nice short-term tailwinds with
with a new iPhone uh, uh, on the market. So guys, thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoyed the chat. Good to see you both again, and hopefully we'll, we'll chat again soon. Now remember, if there's any stocks you'd like us to cover, it's so easy to do. Just flick us an email. The address there is thecall at osbiz.com.au. If you are on Twitter, it's just as easy. The uh, handle there is at osbiztv. Uh, remember, uh, we are doing this every weekday from 12 to 1 p.m. and we hope to get your company next time. Until then, my name's Andrew Page and thanks for watching. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.